Man, I, I just enjoy worshiping the Lord. I enjoy uh, baptizing seven-year-old boys and girls. And what a joy it is because we're looking at VBS coming up in another week. And uh, we have the opportunity to pour into these young lives. And what a, what a blessing that will be to be able to do that. You know, uh, this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And I just have one verse out of this, this passage. And uh, it's going to be verse 17. But um, I was thinking about this, and you know, we're, we're adopted heirs of God, and um, we're talking about adoption. It's, an abu- it's a very beautiful thing to see, and sometimes I look around at, at families in this congregation that have adopted children, and um, you know, I, I just think about where those kids would be if they had not been adopted into a loving family. They didn't have a family to love them or provide for their needs. They didn't have a, a caring dad or mom to listen to their problems or to put their arms around them and to assure them everything is going to be okay. They had no instruction, maybe even about basic things in life like hygiene or you know, not even spiritual matters. And then one day a couple with love and kindness in their eyes chose them. They chose them. And went through all the legal and financial matters necessary to bring that needy child into their home. And for the first time in their life, those kids heard prayers and felt kisses before drifting off to sleep. You know, when they woke up frightened, or when they, maybe they were sick, they, they had the comfort of loving parents to, to calm their fears and to, to nurse them uh, back to health. They had nutritious meals to eat and uh, nice clothing, and they learned what it was like to be a part of a loving, caring family where God is worshipped and his word is read and the needs are brought before his gracious throne. See, the Bible uses adoption as a picture of what God has done for us. It's a picture of what God has done for us. We were, we were dirty, we were diseased, we were impoverished street urchins with no one that cared for us. But we were not the helpless victims, but rather it was because of our deliberate rebellion against God. But one day, he showed up at the cardboard shack that we slept in. And in love, he chose us to be in his family. He cleaned us up. He removed our rags. He clothed us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He fed us with nourishing truth from his word. And he guided us in his paths of righteousness and wisdom. And he brought us into his family where we have brothers and sisters to share our burdens, but to also share our joys. And he made us his heirs. So that for all eternity, for all eternity, we will enjoy the unfathomable riches of Jesus Christ. You know, these wonderful truths They raise a question, you know, if we are God's beloved children, then why does he allow us to suffer? I mean, speaking from my own experience as a parent, I did what I could do to protect my children from suffering 
and to help alleviate their pain, whether it was physical or emotional. I would do whatever I could do to help them out. And if God is all powerful and if he is all loving, then why doesn't he do the same with his children? See, many books have been written to deal with that issue. But what I want to give you is what Paul is saying here through the rest of the chapter that shows this, that our suffering, our suffering is not at odds with God's love for us as his children. Our suffering is not at odds with God's love for us as his children. You know, just as our Savior had to suffer first, then he entered in to glory. And you see, our path to glory also goes through the valley of suffering. Romans eight seventeen. This is a transitional verse because it sums up kind of what Paul has been saying, but then it also uh, introduces what he's going to say and go on to say in the rest of the chapter. So let me, let me pray and then I'll read this verse and then we'll, we'll go from there. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you have <laughs> chose us to be in your family. We thank you that we are heirs with you and heirs, uh, joint heirs with Christ. And I, I pray, Father, that, that we would recognize the truth of your word. And, Father, that it would sink deeply into our souls. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your goodness, your kindness to us. We thank you for all that you have done in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. See, with that little introduction there, let's explore some of the riches here of our text. I'm convinced that Paul does not want us just to read this and, you know, think things through intellectually and then walk away and say, well, you know, that, that's interesting. Or as Tracy says, sometimes when I'm telling a long story, she says that borders on interesting. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm. But rather, he wants us to feel it. He wants us to feel emotionally the, the wonderful grace and love of being adopted as a child of God. Being taken in all of the glorious riches that God has stored up for us in eternity so that we can joyfully persevere in our present sufferings. You know, we think we've got it really, really bad. That somehow we are just, you know, really, really suffering every single day of every, every you know, year and every month, every week. But folks, you need to understand that we are blessed beyond measure. I've been all over the world. I've seen a lot of other places. I've seen a lot of other people. And we, lived in, we live today in the blessed country of the world, the most blessed and you need to understand that we live in a great state. We live in a great city. We have, a, we have a great life right here. And we need to count our blessings more than we look at the disappointments. Because we are truly blessed beyond measure. Even with the difficulties. Even with the suffering that we go through. We are blessed. See, Paul is saying here, as, as God's adopted children, we are his heirs. We are the ones that are going to inherit. You need to understand, God owns it all. 
It all belongs to him. Even though he may loan us stuff for a temporary time, it all belongs to him. And and so we are heirs, we are his heirs, and we are fellow heirs with Christ, which includes suffering now, in the here and now. But it also includes future glory. Oh, that's going to be something. I mean, through God's gracious adoption, we have become his children. He picked you up out of the gutter of sin. He cleaned you up. He, he clothed you with perfect righteousness in Christ and, and lovingly brought you into his family as his child, where we now enjoy the inexhaustible riches of his grace, both now and for all eternity. And when you meditate on that truth, it will give you the strength that you need to resist the sin that comes and so easily trips us up. It will allow us the grace to endure trials. But I want to say this, whatever you do, make sure that you are a child of his. Be sure that you do not reject Jesus as your savior. See, the Bible is very clear that by nature, because of our sin, because of what I've done, because of me, I am a child of wrath. We are a child of wrath not children of God. And how do we become children of God? Paul explains it this way in Galatians 3.26. He says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's only through faith in him that we become the child of God. See, instead of trusting on yourself or, or trusting on your good works to get you to heaven, you must trust in Christ who died On the cross, he paid the penalty for the sin for everyone who believes in him. (laughs) And just so you don't boast in your faith, just so you don't say, well, look what I've done. Keep in mind that salvation is totally from the Lord. We don't deserve it and we can't earn it. And that's why it's called grace. See, as Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 5, he says, in love. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on the beloved. In other words, it's all about God and what he did. He chose us before we chose him. So if by God's grace through faith in Christ you are a child of God, then it follows that as God's children, we become his heirs. See, one of these days I'm going to pass away. I'm going to leave this life and I'm going to go to glory. Hallelujah. But when I do, everything that I have is going to be split up among my children because they are my heirs. And as children of God, we are his heirs. And whatever you have, you know, maybe you've daydreamed about what it might be like to be an heir of, you know, one of these million or billionaires. You know, man, what what must that be like? But I want to tell you something. (laughs) From what I've read, most of the heirs of these really rich people are not happy people. They fight, they take each other to court, they're trying to grab and protect uh, their portion of the inheritance. But understand this, as children of God, the creator and Lord of the entire universe, we never need to fear that someone else will get our portion. (laughs) We belong to him. 
He's going to ensure that. And there's four things I want you to note here about our inheritance as God's children. The first one is this, is that we are heirs of God himself. This is big. When you become a child of God, you, you are heir of God himself. And, and it says there in verse uh, 17, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. We are heirs of God himself. I mean, what a great picture that is. The, the one who spoke the universe into being, the one who created everything that is, is my father. And he's got an inheritance for me. See, at the very least, it means that we should receive all that God has promised to us as his children. And it also means that God himself is our inheritance. This is kind of crazy, but think about this. This truth was taught in the Old Testament. That God was the inheritance. When Israel conquered the land of Canaan, it was divided up among various tribes. And you have the, the, the priestly tribe of Levi, and they received no land because it says in Deuteronomy 18, 2, that the Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. <laughs> I mean, do you suppose that some of those of the the, the priestly tribe of Levi, they looked out with envy at the other tribes and, and at their fertile pastures and maybe they grumbled, you know, well, where's my inheritance? I mean, that's what we would do. We're, we're that kind of, you know, physical type people, fleshly type people. Well, where's my inheritance? And then they were told the Lord God of Israel is your inheritance. And I wonder if they said, oh man, that's a bummer. I wanted some land. You know, I hope they didn't say that. Because they got, they got the one who owns it all. And he could give them any portion that he wanted to give them. You know, the psalmist knew the joy of having God as his inheritance. I mean, for a while he was envious of the wicked because he saw their prosperity. He was looking at their, their physical prosperity and, and, and he, he was envious for a moment. But then he got his bearings about him and he realized that they were going to die and face God's judgment. And so he affirmed this in Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Folks, that's what matters, that you have God as your father. Also, the prophet Jeremiah he also knew this wonderful truth. You know, he had witnessed an awful destruction, just a horrible destruction, fiery, you know, and, 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 and Jerusalem has been overrun by the, the Babylonians. They set fire to the, to the city gates, and, and along with that, they slaughtered a lot of people. There were dead people all around the city of Jerusalem, and they, they transported and deported a bunch of them into slavery. I mean, it was... It was probably for them as bad or worse as the 9-11 tragedy in our own country. They're seeing the gates of their city burn. They're looking around. They're seeing all of these bodies. They're seeing all of their countrymen carted off to another foreign country. Their families 
their cousins, their, their relatives. And in the midst of his grief, this is what Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3.22. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. See, as an heir of God, we get him himself. I think that's huge. And the reason we have him for our inheritance is because he chose us and predestined us to adoption as his children. So we are heirs of God, but also we are fellow heirs with Christ, who is the heir of all things. In Hebrews chapter one, verse two, it declares that in these last days, God, who has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, whom he appointed heir of all things through him also he made the world. You know, when, when, when scripture says all things, I mean, that's fairly comprehensive, I would say. It includes all things. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And, you know, Paul puts the bickering of the, of the Corinthians aside He says it this way. He says, for all things belong to you, whether of Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world of or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. I mean, it kind of wraps it all up that that we're in Christ. We belong to God. We belong to Christ. And again, if we are co-heirs with Christ. Then our inheritance is absolutely secure. We don't have to worry about somebody taking it. There's absolutely no doubt that Jesus will inherit all that the Father has ordained to give him. And since we are fellow heirs with Christ, our inheritance is secure. See, our right to the riches of heaven is not because of anything in us. It's what he did for us in choosing us. But you know what? (laughs) If we know Christ... We're in Christ. And it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Folks, we're in Christ Jesus. We're sealed till the day of redemption. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful concept that is. See, our inheritance includes the unfathomable riches of Christ. That's a big word, unfathomable. It means deep. It means Christ has deep pockets. He's very rich. He's got deep pockets. It's, it's unfathomable. It's immeasurable. He's got bottomless pockets. He is so wealthy. He is so rich. He has so many riches that he wants to give us. We are fellow heirs with him in that. In Ephesians 3, 8, Paul describes his ministry to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And in Ephesians 2, 7, Paul says, so that in the ages to come, Just hone in on that. In the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Folks, it's going to take all of the ages and ages of eternity to reveal to us all that God has prepared for us and given to us in Jesus Christ. 
I mean, I mean, these riches include our being heirs of the world. I mean, you think about this, Romans 4, 13, Paul said, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through righteousness by faith, excuse me, through the righteousness of faith. So now, now Abraham did not inherit the world in his lifetime. The only piece of real estate that he had was, was the burial cave at, at, at Machpelah. Okay? That's the only piece of property that Abraham owned. But God promised a new city whose architect and builder was God. Abraham was looking for that heavenly city. And since we are fellow heirs with Christ, who is the seed of Abraham, we will all inherit the new heavens and the new earth. So we are also heirs of the kingdom of God. James 2, 5 declares, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? What I'm trying to say is when you are in Christ, you are heirs of God. He is your father and you, you receive what he has. But you are also joint heirs with Christ. And he has given Christ a name that is above all names. So that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Amen. that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the Father is reconciling all of creation back to himself to give to his son, Jesus. We're joint heirs in that. I mean, that's huge. I love this. In Titus 3, Paul says it this way. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Folks, you got an inheritance coming. And it's because of what Jesus Christ has done. God chose us. I love that. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so our salvation is certain. Now, if God himself is our inheritance, then our salvation is secure because he is eternal. He is unchangeable and his promises never fail. See, God wants us who are his children to know that our inheritance is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It's absolutely certain. This verse says, if children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, and if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So we've had all of this luxury talk about what we're going to get. We're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. And he's got all of this prepared for us. But why does God allow his children to suffer now? I mean, since we have these promises and the, the assurance from the Spirit then we can endure present suffering as a path toward future glory with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. 
you know, after meditating on all the glories of being children of God and heirs, thinking about what that might entail. The mention of suffering kind of hits us out of nowhere. It's like, what's he talking about? Paul uses the word sufferings. It's an expressive word that means that which one suffers. Suffering, misfortune, calamity, evil, affliction. The afflictions believers must go through because of their association with Christ and his kingdom work. You know, as we know, everyone here knows that we all endure suffering to some degree. I mean, every hospital reminds us that there is suffering now. Every cemetery stands as a vivid reminder of the suffering and pain that is is present in our lives. Every siren that we hear, it reminds us that this world is a place of pain and suffering and loss and death and heartache. And the Bible makes it crystal clear that suffering is part of our earthly existence. But we suffer sometimes because we make foolish decisions. That's on us. We don't make smart choices. We make foolish decisions and it causes us to suffer. We suffer sometimes because those around us make foolish decisions. And we get caught up in the tragedy of their error. And we suffer sometimes because of our association with Jesus. It may be that we are ridiculed or we're persecuted in some way because of that. And there are times when we suffer physically and emotionally and spiritually. And we may think, we may think it, but the truth is we are never alone in our suffering. I mean, Paul himself suffered tremendously. You know, he's not just throwing that in there just to say, you know what, Uh, this is too good. I just want to spoil the, the dessert here. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is he's a compassionate pastor that is writing to some people and saying, look, I know that some of you are going through some hard times. You probably are being suffering. You probably are suffering persecution. Some of your loved ones have probably even been martyred. And that's why he says this. If we suffer, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Paul knew what suffering was about. He knew that being, you know, persecuted was about. He knew what being left for dead. They stoned him till they thought he was dead and walked away. He knows what it's like to suffer for Christ. Even Jesus, Jesus knew what it was like to suffer. And we know to varying degrees what it is to suffer. And you know, all of God's children go through trials from the world. We go through trials from the flesh. We go through trials from the devil. And we all go through trials in our families. Trials with other people. Trials at work. Or maybe being out of work. Trials because of our sins. Because of the sins of, uh, of others. And because of health problems and disappointments and, and heartaches and grief. We all know what it is to suffer. But Why? 
Why does God allow his children to suffer? And I cannot be comprehensive here. I cannot cover this whole topic because the Bible has a lot to say about this subject. But first I would say this. If Jesus, God's beloved son in whom he is well pleased, if he had to suffer before entering glory, then why would we expect to be exempt? Why would we say, oh, well, that's not for me? I have to say this. The popular teaching that it is God's will for his children all to be healthy and wealthy and happy and that we just need to claim it by faith, I want to say is heresy. I don't read that in my Bible anywhere that God just wants us to be healthy and wealthy and happy. Have you ever noticed that any of those false teachers proclaiming this prosperity gospel, it's nonsense. None of them are over a hundred and going strong. They're preaching health and wealth and it's like, no, no, we suffer in this world. It's part of who we are. They're tickling people's ears. We don't want to hear about the suffering. We know because we're in it. But that's the reality. And that's the truth. What they're, what they're peddling out there with this prosperity gospel is not the truth. The truth of God's word says, if we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. If Jesus himself, who was sinless, learned obedience through the things that he suffered, then why would we think there is an easier path for us? I mean, God disciplines all his children so that we might share in his holiness. He's got to cut off those rough edges. He's got to mold us and shape us and fit us for heaven. He's disciplining us so that we might share his holiness. Philip Melanchthon, he put it this way. He said, where there are no cares, there will generally be no prayers. If all of our needs are met, then we don't need to be dependent upon God. But you see, it's in that suffering that we recognize our complete dependence upon God Or as Paul puts it, he said, indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. See, if we understand that, that the things that we go through, the suffering that we endure, (laughs) those trials drive us to dependence upon God. They drive us to be dependent upon him. Think about this. It's like the refiner's fire. All of those impurities are boiling up to the surface. And these, the suffering that we go through, they, they purify the junk out of our lives. They produce perseverance and, 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 and proven character and hope. And they keep us from loving this world more than we should. And they fix our hope on eternity with God. See, every trial that we go through, and I'm almost done, every trial that we go through in life is a witness of the spirit that you are going to share in the glory of the inheritance 
of the Son of God. When you're suffering, if we indeed suffer with him, then we will also be glorified with him. See, Paul says here that we will be glorified with Christ. You see, our adoption is a present reality. We've already been adopted. When we accept Christ, we've been adopted into his family. It is a present reality, but there is still a future fulfillment of it. When we receive our new glorified resurrection bodies and we are forever with the Lord, folks, that is going to be glory. That is going to be glory. You know, as I wrap this up, I'm going to ask the, uh, our, our leaders that are going to lead us in worship to come back up and, and uh, let me remind us how the Christian life works. There is suffering now. There is suffering now, but there's glory later on. There's suffering now, but there's glory later on. And there are a few mercy drops of glory falling around us. And God has put his Holy Spirit inside of us. And he's clothed us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The peace, the joy, the love of God has been poured into our hearts. And he's marked out our path and he has gone before us. Our elder brother, Jesus, has gone before us and paved the way. And we walk with him. We fellowship with him. We pray to him. But folks, all of that, all of this is merely a down payment on the inheritance that is to come. It's like that, just that temporary and, 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 and minuscule suffering that we go through compared to that extraordinary glory that awaits in heaven. Folks, we have to keep our eyes on the prize. We have to keep focused on him because that's what pulls us through this valley of tears as we suffer with Christ in the present. Know that it is only a speck compared to the eternal weightiness of the glory that awaits us. It's just a little thing here. But the eternal weight of glory is going to be magnificent. He didn't say it would be easy. But he did say it would be worth it. Let's pray together. Loving Father, we thank you for this time. And Father, we recognize that we need you. Father, help us to focus on what is to come. And Father, we recognize that there's stuff that we have to walk through right now. Father, we're not home yet, and we need some help on this side of the Jordan River. We need some help down here. But Father, I pray that you would lift our heads. I pray that you would help us to see that whatever we are going through right now is temporary. Oh yes, the pain hurts. The suffering is real. But Father, it pales in comparison to what is to come. The, the wonderful glories that await us. Father, I pray that you would give each of us a glimpse of heaven. Father, that we could see 
How faithful you have been to us. How faithful you are to us. And how faithful you will be. Father, I thank you that the Lord Jesus gave his life for us. I pray, Father, that each of us would be found in him. Father, that that we would decide, that we would believe in the Lord Jesus. That we would confess with our mouth him as our Savior and Lord. And God, that by that you would save us for all eternity. We give you thanks for Jesus. We give you thanks for the indwelling Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would help us to see this in clarity. We love you. Thank you for guiding us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.